0: Mysterious Circumstances is an American crime cast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hey everybody, this is Justin with the Mysterious Circumstances Podcast, and uh, I'm just going to let you know right now, uh, this is kind of my second episode, but not really. Uh, some of the research I've been working on has been delayed because of my work schedule. So, I've been sitting around reading, I'm actually on the uh, beginning end of a pretty good cold from what it seems like, so I wanted to hurry up and get an episode out there, and i this is actually not from me, but it's extremely interesting nonetheless. Uh, pretty creepy, too, so I figured you guys might like it. Uh, it's called Ten Cursed Souls Who Made Deals with the Devil. And it's uh, it was written by Deborah Kelly, and it was submitted to a website called Listverse, which is where I pretty much got all this information. Actually, not pretty much. It is where I got all the information. So, if you can just bear with me, this is pretty interesting. You might like it. I thought it was. Um, And here we go. It's one thing to cast spells and to make a person fall in love, or to make storms sweep through an area. It's another thing entirely to be on a first-name basis with the devil himself, or at least some of his generals. Yet, that's exactly what these people were said to be. Whether they summoned him themselves or were cursed enough to get his attention, a certain part of history suggests that that's exactly what they got. Alright, number 10 is Christopher Heisman. A painter working in Bavaria and Austria in the late 17th century, Christoph Heisman, which is I'm pretty sure how you pronounce his last name, was at the center of a bizarre witch hunt and packed with the devil. When he collapsed on August 29, 1677, he showed all signs of being tortured by a witch's curse. Don't ask me how they knew it was a witch's curse. You know, that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, when questioned by authorities, Heisman claimed that it was his own fault and that he'd signed a pact with the devil nine years earlier as a way out of the cycle of poverty and depression that he had become. Uh, that pretty much took over his life. Uh, He had agreed to be the devil's physical son on earth, but he also claimed that he'd rejected the otherworldly demons' offers of riches and mystical texts. When a local Catholic priest named Leopold Braun heard about the painter's story, he recruited the help of exorcists from the abbey of Mariazel? Mariazel? Not too sure. After a few exorcisms, Heisman had a vision of the devil in which the beast appeared to him in the form of a massive dragon. The dragon was carrying a copy of the contract he'd written and signed, and Heisman claimed that he was able to grab the document and tear it up. So afterwards, Heisman's symptoms seemed to get, to disappear. Um, he continued to paint, and the devil was actually featured in most of his works. Uh, in, his, in every consecutive one, his depiction and image of the devil became more twisted and hideous. And Heisman's symptoms of possession began reoccurring after he went to live with his sister and her husband. Uh, and, then, and this was actually after he joined the Brotherhood of the Holy Cross. So Heisman continued to write some pretty terrifying stuff about the battle for his soul. Uh, and according to his journals, the devil appeared to him frequently, trying to tempt him with all the worldly pleasures you could imagine. Angels came to him too, trying to persuade him to lead a penitent life. Uh, after going through another set of exorcisms at Mariazo Mariazo, however you say that, the symptoms once again passed. Heisman took the name Brother Chrysostom, and spent the rest of his life deep in, a re- in deep in religion. Heisman's story might have been completely forgotten if it wasn't for the subject of a paper by Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud actually studied this uh, incident, and he claimed that Satan represented Heisman's recently deceased father. <clears throat> the painter was torn by feelings of depression over his death and hatred for the man, and the devil in turn represented a need for someone to keep him safe. A more contemporary diagnosis of Heisman's condition is probably what they would call today a little bit of schizophrenia there. Alright, number 9 on the list is Paulo Gil, or Gile, we'll call him Gil. The devil was alive and well in Colonia, Era Brazil. And the journals of a freedman named Yao, or Yao Batista tell a story of a local sorcerer named Paulo Gill according to Batista Gill was a well-known sorcerer who sold his soul to the devil for some deadly powers among his first victims was a slave that Gill had taken a liking to uh, the slave owner disapproved of any relationship and the slave remained just out of Gill's reach it wasn't long before both required exorcism thanks to the influence of Gill's demons Batista recounts how Gil approached him, offering him him a Mandinga pouch and promised they would keep him safe. Batista declined, knowing of Gil's demonic influences. Yet Gil was persistent and eventually convinced him to accompany him on a nighttime trip. They ended up at a crossroads, and after Gil stepped away for only a moment, he returned with seven shadowy figures. Batista fled, and a few days later, he found himself in incredible pain. When he confronted Gil... The sorcerer, he said that he had injured him, stealing some of his blood and giving it to his demonic friends. When Batista again refused to offer to get involved in Gil's evil occupations, an otherworldly storm descended on the village. It only left when Batista prayed to Saint Anne, defying Gil, denying Gil, and the demons his uh, his blood. The story, ha- the story does have elements that are common in what are traditional tales in Brazil. Um, the story of devil worship among the colony slaves, it's, it was pretty typical back then in Brazil in the, in the colonial area. Gil was a typical sorcerer making his magic at a crossroads at night, taking blood and siphoning life from a person's hip, uh, with his dark masters causing a storm when they were denied. Saint Anne was traditional too, an increasingly popular saint for the devout to appeal to. All right, number eight on the list is Antone Rose. In fourteen seventy seven, a witch named Antone Rose, who was put on trial, <clears throat> known of the witch known as the Witch of Savoy, she told a specific story that would help cement one of the most iconic images that still goes along with witchcraft today the broom and if anybody here has any kind of knowledge of witchcraft I'm just going to let you know right now not called a broom and it is definitely not for flying on according to Rose's testimony she had been in need of money when she approached her neighbor with her problems fortunately that neighbor knew a guy Quote, unquote, knew a guy. And he introduced her to a group of people that persuaded her to appeal to the devil for help. The devil appeared in the form of a man named Robin A. He promised her all the money that she needed as long as she would renounce God and pay homage to him. She, she also agreed to the demand to pay him a certain percentage of her earnings every year. In return, he gave her a bag of gold and silver a stick and a jar filled with ointment plus instructions on how to use it to return to the place she met him. All she needed to do was rub the stick with the ointment, mount it and say, Go in the devil's name, go. And she would fly to their meeting place on her broom. Which is just epically, epically awesome. Rose actually testified that the homage they paid to the devil involved things like dancing and feasting. Stepping on the consecrated host And kissing the devil's Pretty much kissing the devil's ass When he shifted into the form of a black dog She had been terrified The first time she met the devil in his human form And said that he had a voice That was so hoarse she could Barely been able to understand him Her testimony would be the second Documented case of a witch Confirming the idea that the devil gave them The the ability to fly on broomsticks Uh Gwalam, edelin became the first in 1453 he admitted to flying on a broomstick while he was being tortured and to be honest with you if i was being tortured i'd pretty much admit to anything yeah and let's see who we got next here number seven oliver cromwell this one's actually really interesting Oliver Cromwell's long list of sins has been well documented. Even after death, his body was exhumed and publicly hung when the British monarchy took back control of their government. In the day's popular media, it, it wasn't uncommon for Cromwell to be depicted with the horns of the devil. Another story is that Cromwell made a deal with the devil in exchange for his success. He died on September 3rd, 1658. And that night that he died, a massive storm swept across the country. It was said that the storm was brought by the devil as he came to claim Cromwell's soul. It was a fitting end to a picture that Royalists had been painting for nearly 10 years. By the early 1650s, they were promoting the image that Charles I was a representative and ally of Christ, while Cromwell was clearly with the devil. A pact with the devil was used to explain his rise to power and his success on the battlefield. Even the weather seemed to rebel when he died, cementing pretty much cementing the whole idea that he had made a pact with the devil. The storm was called Oliver's Wind. The trees that had been destroyed in a Brampton Bryan Park at that time were said to have been toppled by the devil as he dragged Cromwell to hell. Uh, The image didn't even stop there after he died. Children Children were told that if they didn't behave, Cromwell would come and drag them to hell as he'd been taken there himself. His ghost became associated with ruins that dotted the countryside, and it was said that people commonly saw Cromwell's ghost. Grim, angry, and damned to eternal torment. Now, there's a whole host of natural and man-made features that have been named after Cromwell. And, uh, uh, it's not necessarily because people wanted to honor him. Many of them were originally named for the devil. And trading Satan's name for Cromwell's was a statement on what people thought of their Lord Protector. Let me get a drink here real quick. Okay. Number six is St. Basil and the Slave. St. Basil was born in Turkey in 8329 to a Christian family that remained Christian during a time when Christians were persecuted in scores. Um, I don't know how religious some of you people are, but it's almost kind of what's going on right now. But, you know, that's a whole other subject and not one that I'm going to talk about on my show. So... He wrote a large body of work including around 300 letters that we still have today. Widely admired, he succumbed to poor health when he was 50 years old. And according to the legend, he went head to head with the devil at least once. The story says that St. Basil was approached by a young woman whose husband had sold his soul to the devil. He was a slave and she was the daughter of his master. In the in order to free himself and marry her... He had turned to the devil for help. The devil kept his word and the marriage took place. The ex-slave was forced to confess what he had done when his inability to go to church, pray, or make the sign of the cross was brought forth. Saint Basil prayed for him and eventually the contract the man had written with the devil was delivered to the wind. The saint was able to tear it up and release the former slave from his demonic bindings. The devil in this story makes a good point when he confronts the slave. He accuses mankind of being perfectly willing to make a deal with him to whatever ends just to turn their back on him once they've gotten what they want. And if you actually do, it's, it's, it actually says it's the shady nature of Christians, he says. Uh, they know that they can get away with anything because Christ will always take them back. Which is extremely interesting. I don't know how many of you get into theology or the study of religions at all, but that is actually uh, an extremely good point. Uh, number five on the list is Marjorie Jourdain and Roger Bolingbroke. And uh, in fifteen er, 1441, England was rocked by a massive scandal. While most of the accused were high-ranking and influential, Marjorie Jourdain. Was the exception. She had already done some time locked up in Windsor for sorcery-related offenses. Uh, she was in prison for two years, and when she was examined and released, she was examined and then released with a promise to keep herself out of trouble and stop her evil practices. Marjorie did not keep her promise, though. Uh, According to some sources, it was right after she was released that she went back to casting spells and aiding those who sought her help for matters like conceiving a child and the creation of love potions. That's when she got involved in the scandal, and that was way over her head. Uh, She was accused of providing the magical potions that Eleanor had used on the Duke of Gloucester. um, originally Eleanor was a lady in- waiting to the Duke's wife and she was suddenly elevated to the position of wife herself. It was a big step it was a big step up for the daughter of a knight pretty much um, so we're gonna sorry my throat's getting real hoarse so I'm having to take a, a lot of drinks here Now uh, let's fast forward a little bit the main man and a man named Roger uh, Bolingbroke, was accused of casting a horoscope that predicted the death of King Henry. Uh, Since Henry wasn't married and didn't have children, that meant the Duke of Gloucester was next in line for some serious power. Uh, His new wife, Eleanor, would have had every reason to turn to black magic in order to climb to the very top of the social ladder. The casting of horoscopes led to charges brought against Bolingbroke and two other men, Holm and Southwell, for consp- which was their names, their names were Home and Southwell, for conspiring against the king by use of black magic and necromancy. Uh, for those of you who don't know what necromancy is, it is uh, communicating with the with the other world, communicating with the dead. Uh, it wasn't long until Bolingbroke made a public admission and confessed that he had been dealing with the devil to fur- further their plans, and it was all Eleanor's urging. Wow talk about throwing somebody under the bus right there. Um, anyway, Marjorie Jordamain sometimes referred to it as the Witch of I, uh, was or that's what Marjorie Jordamain sometimes referred to as the Witch of I, which was her freaking nickname, uh, was also arrested for her construction of a wax image of the king who was the recipient of all their dastardly spells. A violent storm that kicked up on the night of her arrest, uh, pretty much cemented the belief that she was in league with the devil. I don't know what it is about the weather going on here, but Marjorie claimed that the wax image was meant as a fertility charm. Marjorie was burned at the stake for her <clears throat> for her uh, doings with the devil and for witchcraft. About the same time, Southwell died a mysterious death in prison, and Bolingbroke was hanged, drawn, and quartered. For those of you who do not know what drawn and quartered is, uh, it's a pretty gruesome way to die. It's when they have four horses, they lay you on the ground, tie a rope to the end of one to each end of the leg and one to each hand, and they kick the horses and tell them to go. Uh, Like I said, pretty gruesome. It rips you apart. That's actually what they did to William Wallace. And for those of you who don't know who William Wallace is... Besides any research that you, sh- you, you can do, you can definitely check out the movie uh, Braveheart. Um, and let's see what we got. Uh, home, home was actually pardoned, and Eleanor was burned by sentencing of a court led by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, next on the list, we got number four, which is uh, Benvenuto, Cellini, and the Sicilian Priest, and one of the world's great sculptors who was ben benvenuto cellini lived during the 16th century uh, it was a time of creation for some of the world's most epic pieces of art along with a piece from italy's culture cultural masterpieces cellini cellini was also left behind an autobiography now in this autobiography cellini tells a story of a sicilian pri- priest who he, who came who he came to befriend? Uh, they shared numerous conversations about art, culture, literature, and other intellectual pursuits. Uh, and one day, the idea of necromancy happened to come up in the conversation, as as it does, you know. I mean, just everyday everyday conversations we talk about talking to dead people. So Cellini actually admitted that he'd always wanted to witness a necromantic ritual, and the press priest said he was in luck. The priest instructed him to grab a friend and meet him at uh, the Colosseum. When Cellini and his friend, Vincenzo uh, Ramili, showed up, they found the priest now dressed in the robes of a necromancer and standing in the middle of circles that had been drawn on the ground. Telling Cellini and R- Ramili to tend the fires, the perfumes, and the incense, the priest began what was an hour and a half of incantations. He was so taken with his task that he didn't notice what was going on until he looked up. That's when he saw the legions of demons that had filled the Colosseum. When the priest necromancer told him to make a request of them, he asked to be reunited with a woman he called his Sicilian Angelica. They were ordered to come back with a virgin boy. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that was probably for sacrifice. So uh, so they did. Dragging along a 12-year-old apprentice of Cellini's and another friend uh, named uh, Gadi. Gadi. Uh, this time it was Gadi and Romili who tended the fires while Cellini was tasked with pinning the boy inside a pinnacle. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know, which is a five-pointed star. Uh, he made his request again as the boy was screaming, saying that there were thousands of demons, millions of men, and four huge giants trying to break through the circle separating their world from the next. Selini, seeing that the necromancer was absolutely terrified by, by what the boy was saying, stated that they all looked to him to keep everyone steady and strong, and to, give the, to keep the demons at bay. All their incantations seemed to be failing until Gadi avoided himself in terror, and everyone else started cracking up laughing because nothing scares devils like fart jokes uh, the demons were driven back except for a few that were spotted running along the rooftops Uh, the priest appealed to the sculptor to help him in taking advantage of the demons and devils that they could clearly summon wanting his help in writing a book that would guide them through summoning the creatures and gaining the knowledge of all the hidden treasures of the world Selini had one commission for the Pope. He wrote, I was so absorbed and enamored by my work that I thought no more about Angelica or anything of that kind. That's uh, actually quite interesting. Alright, number three on the list, we have John D., An Elizabethan-era scientist and dabbler in the occult, John Dee worked alongside the mysterious Edward Kelly in the court of Elizabeth I. He had a huge amount of influence in the court, even casting an astrological chart to determine the precise time that Elizabeth should be crowned. Dee and Kelly were reported to have their... Fingers in some things that were much darker than just astronomy. And by eight by fifteen eighty-one, they claimed to be able to channel communications through crystal balls and speak with angels. Those same angels told them to head to the continent, continue their explorations, but the two parted ways when Dee didn't agree with the instructions that Kelly claimed to be getting. When Dee got back to England, he found that the people weren't too keen on his occult research, which you, I'm sure you could imagine. Uh, while he might have claimed to be talking to angels, he was still involved in stuff that most people tend to frown upon. The heat around him was quickly gaining momentum. The only thing, and the only thing the queen could do, uh, was offer to ship him off to somewhere that he might be able to be forgotten. Uh, that place was Manchester. He took a position as warden of the Manchester Collegiate Church and really did lead. He honestly led a pretty God fearing life. Uh, But rumors can be pretty relentless sometimes, and before too long, he was asked to oversee the treatment of a group of children that were supposedly possessed by the devil. Dee refused. Uh, The man who accepted the case was eventually sentenced to death for his involvement, during which time he used some of Dee's writings as a reference. So, rumors that Dee had a rather personal relationship with the devil actually persisted and came to a climax when the discovery of a table that was marked by a suspicious burn mark. The table, which was there while he was living, still sits in uh, Chetham's school. It was it was said to have been marked by the devil's hoof when Dee summoned him. The British Museum still has at least one of Dee's demonic artifacts, which is an obstinate mirror through which he, or er, which it was claimed that he channeled his otherworldly spirits through. Whatever the truth of Dee and the mysterious devil hoofprint, it was about the time of Elizabeth's death that his congregation had decided they'd had had enough of him. Uh, He petitioned James I in an attempt to clear the rumors from his name, but those attempts attempts failed. Alright. Like I said, sorry about the sniffing. This cold's uh, really starting to get to me here. Next on the list, we have number two, which is Katharina Kepler and Lena uh, Stubborn. Katharina Kepler was the mother of astronomer Johannes Kepler, ...and a widow by the time the rumors of her involvement with the devil started. Uh, One time friend Ursula Reinbold accused Katharina of poisoning her... ...and Kepler was dragged before the courts and given, quote unquote, a way out. All she needed to do was cure the poor, suffering woman, okay... ...which would demonstrate beyond a doubt that she was a witch... That wasn't said, of course, and Kepler refused to implicate herself. Um, the case was dropped from for lack of evidence, and Kepler countersued for defamation with the support of her son. A year later, she was targeted again by a handful of girls who claimed she had cursed them with paralysis and pain. Kepler was forced to flee after a failed bribery attempt and when the first case fell apart with the revelation that Reinbold was a prostitute, the second took center stage. The, she was confronted by with 49 counts of, mele, of mele, uh, Maleficia. Maleficia. I don't know why I can't say that word. Anyway, uh, basically her dealings with the devil were chief among them. Uh, the most telling and bizarre was a claim that Kepler had... Searched among the villagers for someone to willingly help her not only dig up her father's body but remove his skull so she could turn it into a drinking cup. Clearly it was something to be used only in the most demonic of rites and rituals. While waiting to get to Kepler's case Chancellor Ulrich Brohl was torturing another suspected witch by the name of Lena Stubberin. Her confessions, while being tortured, of course, seemed to prove that the devil was alive and well in town. According to Stubberlin, she had first met the devil when he was standing under an oak tree with his dog, who floated above the ground. The evil manifestation told her, told her to call him Barthlin, and after he approached her several times, she finally agreed to become his. Over the next 18 months, she reported that she had intercourse with the devil, killed several people, and used her influence to cause entire storms. She was finally beheaded and her body crushed into ash. Uh, The accusations against Kepler were much the same. She claimed to have killed livestock and children by reciting incantations over them. Her trial lasted 6 years and it wasn't until 1620 that Johannes Kepler... Her son stepped in to argue his mother's case. Moving his entire family to Germany, he focused on explaining the so-called evidence that had been aimed at his mother, and ultimately, she was uh, exonerated. Her other two children had distanced themselves from the whole thing. uh, One son even insisted that the trial be moved further away to another town because it was making him look bad. Katharina Kepler died six months after being given her freedom which is very sadly ironic. Uh, and number one on the list it looks like a pretty, pretty good story here. Uh, we got Michael Scott. Let me take a drink before we get this here. Okay, Michael Scott was so vocal in his condemnation of the black arts that those around him stated to believe start, started to believe that such a public hater, must be must have something to hide, likely born in Fife around eleven seventy five Scott studied in Oxford and travelled throughout the royal courts of Britain uh, and the entire continent. Uh, eventually, he made his home in Sicily and became the court astrologer to Frederick the uh, Second. He produced a huge volume of work that included text on the necromancy and the black magic that he so publicly condemned. Rumors started to circulate that he clearly practiced what he was writing about under the guise of quote-unquote science. By 1230, he found himself back in England at the center of a series of claims that got more and more outrageous as they went on. It was said that Scott was at the head of a group of demonic familiars that he dispatched every night to one of the court's Uh, He had visited in his travels. The demons would fetch him the finest international delicacies. And fly them back. His own transportation was also pretty demonic. His demon horse carried him. uh, Through the night sky. And he traveled the oceans by riding a sea creature. That had surfaced from the depths of hell. Uh, Either that or an equally demonic ship. Uh, He might be the most ambitious legend that we what might be the most ambitious legend about scott is that he once conned the devil into helping him build a road his father was granted some land and went on to build what is now the castle of uh, balwery but what the castle really needed was a road scott summoned demons and the devil himself to build the road and once it was finished the devil asked for more work the magician gave him more to do Scott got so tired of the devil that he sent him to the beach at Kirkcladdy uh, to make an, an endless rope out of the sand. The devil kept working until he finally collapsed. He was also said to have gone up against scores of French pirates who were raiding Scottish ship ships. Scott and his demon horse confronted the king and ordered the horse to stomp his foot three times the first stop made all the church bells in Paris ring. The second stop caused the collapse of the palace towers. And before the third blow, the king ordered an end to French piracy. Uh, Scott's home territory around Kirklady is filled with stories of streams he created to stop devils from chasing him and hares that were once witches who changed their shape to provide Scott with quarry for his hunts. One cave was actually said to be the location of all his demonic rites and rituals. And as of the late 19th century, they were associated with toxic fumes that came from either heaven or hell. Now, with all these stories being said, obviously some of this, uh, some of this stuff is a little bit more far-fetched than others. Um, some of them are some pretty interesting stories. Uh, actually, one of them is probably going to be a future episode of mine, which is The Confession of Isabel Gowdy. Uh, Isabel Gowdy was a witch in, I believe, the 14th or 15th century. I haven't really started research, I've just read a little bit about it. And she is actually the only witch to confess everything in writing without ever even being tortured. She openly confessed to everything. It's a really interesting story. They actually, uh... It was either a play or a musical that they made about the whole thing, which is another interesting thing that the story actually carried out so long afterward. Um, another one is a guy named Faust, F-A-U-S-T. He, uh... He was definitely... His... They actually still have his contract that he signed in blood. Uh... Which is definitely pretty interesting. I've only heard the story a couple times and seen a couple pictures and stuff like that. Never really looked into it. But uh, with that being said, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Like I said, I was reading along and I thought this was uh, pretty cool and creepy. So I figured I'd share it with everybody. Uh, Sorry about my stammering. Sorry about my clogged nose. I had to get another episode out there. Um, And again, this is not my material. Like I said before, this is a list on uh, submitted to a website called Listverse, and it was written by Deborah Kelly. Um, so all the credit goes to her. Uh, my next episode will be out next week, and uh, it'll be a good one. It's actually about Bobby Fuller, uh, the rock star from the Bobby Fuller 4, and uh, his very short life and mysterious death. So you guys should definitely enjoy that. Um, I'm going to try to get off here and get some rest, and thank you guys for joining me. And uh, imagine I'll see you on the flip side.